We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Welcome to Start Talk Radio. I'm Joe Quinn, and my co-host this week is Neil Bradley. Hello, everyone. This week, we are talking with uh, Pierre Lescaudron and Lauren Yachik. They are the co-authors of a new book called Earth Changes and the Human Cosmic Connection. Uh, the title of the book is obviously self-explanatory. Uh, we hardly, hardly even need to have a show at all. It's, it's all just pretty much spelled out there, right, guys? No? Anyway, so my first question is, Earth Changes in the Human Cosmic Connection. What does that title even mean? Who would like to feel that one? Well, well, there's a lot of... We try to... We spend a lot of time trying to find the the right title, and I think we find a a satisfying one. And um, basically, it conveys the idea that there is a correlation between uh, of changes, changes that we are experiencing now and for since the turn of the century, increasing earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, uh, global cooling beginning or the end of the global warming at least, more chaotic weather, the wind, heavy rainfall, snowfalls, droughts. Mm-hmm. So of changes, <clears throat> the cosmic origin of the earth changes we develop what those cosmic origins are, and the human influence as a modulator of those cosmic uh, factors. So you have earth changes due to cosmic factors modulated by the state of humanity, basically. That's why you have this title, Earth Changes and okay. the Human Cosmic So, I mean, earth, people can understand what Earth Changes are. I mean, most people, it's earthquakes, volcanoes, like you just described, but then this human cosmic connection is that connection, like you're saying, that there is some kind of, potentially a connection between uh, people and these changes. But And mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's part of the subject of, of your book, in a certain sense, describing what that possible uh, connection might be and what it might entail. Yeah. Um, but I read your book, and... Uh, a large part of it is actually deals with um, kind of the electric universe theory, mm-hmm. and does that have a, does that tie in within the? Um, I mean, because some people might think that having read the book, that they may not see the direct connection there between, uh, you know, because a lot of the book is about the electric universe. It's essentially hard science, mm-hmm. and then uh, the second part is about this human more theorized human cosmic connection. Uh, what in your terms or as you would describe it, it's a connection between this electric universe theory and the human cosmic connection. Well, that's, that's a tough one. Um, actually, the electric universe um, hypothesis was used because uh, it was the, the missing link to explain the correlation between earth changes and the hypothesized uh, incoming Sun's companion and his cometary swarm. Mm-hmm. Solar discharges uh, and things like that. 
Actually, it's a little more basic than that, I think, uh, where the ideas came from. Because many years ago, when I began really digging heavily into the concepts of earth changes, um, I realized that there was uh, material written by ancient peoples that described many things that had happened that actually made not a whole lot of sense. And back in, what, 1985, 1986, after studying the whole matter, you know, as as deeply as I could at the time under the circumstances, we didn't have the Internet then, of course, so I was uh, pretty much reliant on libraries. But um, I realized that there were descriptions that didn't make any sense unless we were talking about electrical phenomena. So back then, I kind of formulated and wrote about a a very primitive uh, electric universe uh, theory. And uh, what was guiding me was uh, the, the ancient literature about other times or previous periods when tremendous earth changes were alleged to have occurred, such as uh, the uh, biblically reported flood of Noah, um, the Exodus in uh, the Hebrew Bible, and several other similar events. Of course, back then I was pretty much uh, interested in anything that talked about those things, and there was always the literature of Edgar Cayce that uh, came up. He talked about uh, the ancient civilization, the Atlantean civilization that was destroyed by the the great flood that became known in, as the flood of Noah in the Bible. And he he talked pretty extensively about earth changes, made predictions and so forth. And a great deal of uh, what he predicted is... Um, well, I'm not saying that it's really actually happening because it's kind of funny when you start dealing with esoteric literature, you know, people have such expectations about it that they don't take into account that if you're getting something that is only a probability from the, you know, from a, a predicted point of view, it's not going to be, you know, totally exact. So, for example, he predicted the rise of Atlantis in such and such a year, and it was going to be off the Bahama Islands or off Bimini, which is, you know, near the Bahamas. Um, and lo and behold, in that year, some uh, some fellow was diving around and discovered what seemed to be a man-made structure you know, a giant wall and the foundations of buildings off the coast of uh, Florida and Bimini. And it was reported that, oh, that makes Edgar Cayce right because Atlantis rose again. And that was kind of what he was saying was Atlantis was going to rise again. And he talked about uh, uh, things along that line. Well, I'd looked at it for a long, long time, and I came to the idea that if... If Atlantis as a core civilization existed, it probably uh, was located in the area of North and South America because all the descriptions more or less matched. And there are some of these really ancient uh, cities uh, or remains of cities that are to be found there. And then, of course, uh, the the 10,500 or 12,000 year ago event 
that killed off the megafauna in North America would kind of match with Plato's Atlantis, Casey's Atlantis, and some of the ruins that were there. So, so there were things to look at. There were things to think about. And when you looked at and thought about them and tried to figure out how that could happen, the big thing was the how. And I couldn't figure out anything that could happen that would really make those dramatic changes except something that had to do with electricity. And this was at the time. And also all of the esoteric uh, predictive type things and the Bible, which, you know, we should basically kind of classify with esoteric literature. It's certainly not history. Um, Talk about people being changed also. And the only thing that I could think of that could change people, and I even wrote about it in this rather primitive version of the Electric Universe theory, was through uh, electrical activity because human beings uh, carry charge, transmit charge, you know. I mean, so, so that was my primitive version. And all these years went by, and I've been continuing to seek, continuing to search, continuing to observe. What I see in the world around us is that we are actually going through right now and have been for some years. Those earth changes, they just don't happen necessarily in a single day and in a single night. And believe me, if something happens in a single day and in a single night, there's not going to be anybody talking about it because there will be very few people left to talk. Uh, so these things obviously happen in a more progressive way because they get written about and they happen in ways that are less totally destructive than some people think you know the christians want the end of the world i mean so many people want the end of the world when's the world going to end when are we going to be raptured up hmm. and you know of course they want that because they want all their enemies to suffer and they want all the people who've treated them bad to suffer and they want all the people that they think are ungodly and ruining their planet to suffer and even, you know, new agey types who have bought into the earth changes are coming. And, you know, they fall into that trap. That, that a very idea of, uh, of an end, you know, the end times. The as a finite the end point. The world as a finite point seems to me that it, it's very much a, a Christian or comes from a Christian perspective in terms of uh, life and death and the idea of heaven and hell and essentially that you have only one life. Because uh, there's all, all these Christians in the world that I think they only have one life and they're waiting for it. They hope that they'll be alive when the end time comes. But if people believe in reincarnation, the idea of there being a finite end would be much less, would have much less of an impact on their psyches, I think. Because if you think that you've lived and died many, 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 many times, well, if you die by being hit by a bus or run over by a horse and cart or something, or you die in some kind of major tsunami or volcano, volcanic eruption that's part of an end times thing, does it really matter? It was the end for from, you. From yeah. the perspective of just you dying, you know? Well, let's be fair. Um, in ancient times, there were, even before Christianity ever on the stage of history or basically was thrust on the stage, which actually happened more around, you know, 8th, ninth, 10th centuries than most people actually realize. Um, the people didn't believe in uh, reincarnation that widely it was mm-hmm. there were a few cultures that were teaching and it, it said that the ancient orphics and um some people in uh, india and 
demonstrations and so forth promulgated this particular doctrine uh, way earlier than Pythagoras, but and he got it from them. But for the most part, people believed that they they were like everything else on the planet. They lived one life, they died, and then they went to some place under the ground. Uh, if you look at the the Homeric um, uh, writings, and you see the description of Odysseus visiting the underworld, and you have an idea of what people thought was going on then, and and then that. You know, they weren't believing in reincarnation. They weren't, uh, you know, but they, of course, also did not believe in, quote, the end of the world, although mm-hmm. they certainly uh, focused their lives around cataclysmic events. Their religion was based on cataclysmic events, and it may even be so that Christianity is based on cataclysmic events. Uh, there's some evidence uh, in, in the writings of, uh, what is it, Anatoly Fomenko? that the book of Revelation uh, horoscopically describes uh, something in like the 14th century or or maybe as early. I don't. I may not remember the date. Don't hold me to any dates when I'm talking off the cuff here. But, um, yeah, they, uh, they expected the earth to go on. And it was Judaism that brought in the idea of a beginning, a, you know, an, an actual beginning of time you know, Adam and Eve, and an end of time. And when Christianity grafted itself onto Judaism, it adopted this idea. You know, you've got this absolute end, the world is going to end, burned up in the lake of fire, et cetera, et cetera, and all those people are going to either go to heaven or hell. And uh, But then there's those odd, peculiar little things in Revelation where it talks about, you know, after the thousand-year reign, you know, then the devil's going to come up out and he's going to do some, you know, stomping around and doing things again. So it's not entirely clear that that's absolutely the end. Yeah, and this notion of linear time with a beginning and an end is quite recent on the history scale. Until the 17th century, there was no clockwork. It's only the creation of clockworks that trigger the creation of time, minutes, hours, and years. Even before the 17th century, people couldn't say on what year they were born. They could say what day, because a day was a marker within the annual cycle. So the way people perceived time was cyclical. You had cycle within cycles. You had seasons, you had days, you had years, and you are greater cycles. Uh, that's one of the first major difference between the current modern paradigm and the ancient paradigm. Another major difference is that our ancestors had this deep understanding of the human cosmic connection, i.e. what we human beings do has an influence on cosmic events. That's what was transformed later into God's wrath. It's where the remnants of this very ancient belief, I mean belief, more than a belief, it was directly based on uh, cataclysmic events. And uh, one example is um, chroniclers. A chronicler like Michael the Syrian had two columns on each page of his chronicles. On the left, he was describing the political events, the abuses, the lies, the oppression. On the right column, he was describing the cosmic events, the calamities. And... uh, most of his work was a kind of oracle work in the sense that he was trying to see how 
this political event triggers these cosmic reactions. You know, it's a, which is a fascinating topic. And uh, even today, we could, uh, some people might try to know why this volcanic eruption this day in this place, uh, maybe one week after this uh, uh, big lie or this mass murdering in the same area. Or so, so just to make a distinction here between what we've been talking about and maybe what you're talking about, we've been talking about the religious idea of an end of the world uh, induced by, you know, cataclysms, etc. But what you're talking about, Pierre, and what you, uh, you and Laura focus on in the book is uh, that throughout history there have been repeated kind of cataclysms that didn't destroy or end the world, but that they're induced some way, somehow by human activity or this, the organization of human society or whatever. And of course, yeah. the Christians took these ideas and they said, I mean, they looked at the records, they knew what was going on, and they just put everything off into the future. It was all going to happen mm. again, but it was going to be the end of the world to end all the end of the a world. finite event, yeah. Yeah, and of course, at various periods during the eruption and progression of the uh, pathological condition of the planet known as Christianity, uh, these ideas have resurfaced as being imminent around the year 1000. Uh it was thought that Jesus was going to come right away because 1,000 years had passed and everybody went around, started being good and decent and giving their money away and mm. uh, giving their, you know, turning their cattle loose in the pastures and so forth. The day came and then it passed and nothing happened, you know. So I was, I was reminded of, of that when we went uh, through the Y2K episode and I kept saying, you know, nothing is going to happen on, on, in the year 2000. Well, there was a lot of focus on the year 2012 by the New Age types. And I said, well, nothing's going to happen in the year 2012 either. And the fact is that nobody really knows the day and the hour, and it depends on how you define the end of the world. If you look, if you look at what's going on right now, we are closer to the precipice than we have been in the last, oh, um, well, 60, 70, 75 years. World War II was a, a pretty a pretty good time where you could talk about, you know, being on the edge of the end of the world. I mean, everything was really hellacious back then. Uh, so it's been, what, 60, 70 years since then. And uh, right now we've got similar conditions. But the thing that we have now that we didn't have back at the beginning of World War II or at the beginning of World War One or any of the other wars necessarily is this vast collection of other types of events, of responses from the planet. And let's face it, you know, planetary bodies take a little time to get things moving. I mean, it's kind of like a like a, an ocean liner. I don't know how many of you have ever uh, driven a boat, but even if you're driving a small boat, you know, it takes a, you know, it takes a little time for your change in course to catch up with the boat because you've got this forward momentum and you make a change, you turn the wheel a little to the left and, and, and you still go forward. You don't turn immediately as you would if you were driving a car with contact between the wheels and the road because you, you're sliding on that water. Well, earth changes or planetary changes are like that. There's this huge forward momentum and when courses get changed, it takes a little while for things to catch up. Yeah, and then as you said... Christianity moved away the end of the of the world 
<clears throat> in a linear time, linear paradigm. At the same time, he moved away God. Before Christianity, God was imminent. He was everywhere, in all of us, in every aspect of creation and destruction. In this paradigm, human beings had a huge responsibility. Somehow, everything depends on what you do at every moment. There's an interconnection between every living entities. But Christianity created this new transcendent God, a God that is not immanent, a God that is remote. He's outside he, of he the has, system. He has a beard and he's sitting on a cloud far away from human activity. And all of a sudden, cosmic reactions or cosmic events in the, uh, beliefs became the result of the of the the arbitrary decisions of a remote god. And that was the first severance of the human cosmic connection. And the, the last nail in the coffin of the human cosmic connection was the rise of materialism and the clockwork model of the universe and human beings as mere biochemical machines. Yeah. No more soul, no more connection, no more interconnectedness. It kind of brings into sharp focus that question that probably most people are familiar with. That's, they probably have, they probably haven't asked it themselves, or maybe haven't asked it themselves. But a lot of people do ask it, and you hear a lot of people asking it. When bad things happen, why does God let this happen? Why does why does God allow bad things to happen? If if He's a good God, why do bad things happen? And uh, yeah, what we're exploring here is the is the answer to that, which is that it's not really God's responsibility. Maybe uh, not only God let it happen, but uh, it triggers it de depending how you define God. But it seems, when you read um, Schiller's book, The Fifth Option, you have this sense that life defies all the usual laws of physics, entropy and decay and uh, entropic death. Life is animated by this deep fundamental principle of creation, more complexity, more interconnectedness, more, uh, more intelligence, and more information. It seems that one fundamental universal law, universal law directing life is going towards this uh, improvement, amelioration, constant amelioration. And if living entities, for whatever reason, doesn't respect this universal law, there's some kind of reset mechanism, a pruning mechanism, where the failed life experiments it are removed yeah. to give space to the main design and objective of the universe, could almost say which it is this life. way, which is life. Information, complexity. More information, more complexity, more intelligence, more, you know, this, uh, this rise. And when we have a civilization mm. that is basically... Uh, turned its back on those principles. It celebrates lies. It uh, embraces lies. It celebrates, you know, cruelty, disorder, entropy, destruction, destruction of the planet, destruction of other people. All of those things, all of those behaviors that are against life, which is the principle of information and complexity and order. You know, all of those things invite a reaction a very natural reaction from the cosmic system, which, you know, kind of, I mean, they kind of create voids 
you know, chaotic voids into which information will run. And, uh, and that information can only, you know, come in when the slate has been cleared and cleaned. So... Yeah, you mentioned lies and the opposite of lies is truth. And uh, in this book, we described um, some interesting properties of truth. Truth doesn't add up in a linear way. One information plus one information equals two information. There are some synergies, and we give uh, two examples. Um, one of the examples is a stereo vision. Human beings and some other mammals, if they look through only one eye, they see a 2D world. If they look through two eyes, a third dimension appears. So there is this uh, unraveling of extra or higher level of order, information order, when truth, true information added to each other. It's another example is, um, which is um, developed in the book is the, the law of arithmetic addition. If people lie, 1 plus 1 equals 3, 2 plus 2 equals 5, etc., etc. Those false information together don't lead to any consistency, higher order, higher law of the universe. But if you add up true information, 1 plus 1 equals 2, 2 plus 2 equals 4, all of a sudden you can deduce from this piece of true information a law of higher order, the old table of arithmetic addition. So that's an interesting property of uh, truth. That's just lie. We we gonna add to that? Well, I was just gonna say this is one of the reasons why searching for um, the truest understanding you can achieve about any given event or situation uh, is so important because it it kind of um, it kind of I don't say that it exactly teaches you how to see the unseen or to see behind events or to see the underlying strata of our reality, but it actually does if you're paying attention and if you're trying to extract lessons from doing it. And that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, history is so important, I think. And, you know, it's really... It's really kind of heartbreaking to me that so many people say, oh, I don't like history. It's so boring. You know, well, I mean, there is nothing else on the planet that is as fascinating, in my opinion, as history. And there are several reasons for that, because it not only teaches us what has happened, if we can figure it out, because believe me, most of what is written in the historical records is a pack of lies, just as has been said. I mean, if you think about people nowadays writing a history for the future uh, say they're going to write about 9-11 or they're going to write about the assassination of John Kennedy, two very, very important events in our history and they, you know, the history that gets written or the histories, most of the histories that get written by mainstream authors who are following the political line you know, the victors writing the history they're going to write and say oh, some lone nut, you know, came along and and off John Kennedy, and then there was some, you know, 19 Arab terrorists who couldn't fly a plane that did 9/11, and and that's the history. And so, in the future, you know, say thousands of years from now, somebody is reading these ancient texts about the history of the 19th and 20th centuries, and they read this, and they think, well, that's what happened, but maybe that's not what happened. 
Well, the thing is, history is boring uh, the way it's written. Official history is boring because it's sanitized, because um, they tend to not, in the historical records, they t- the official writers of history tend to, obviously, they they fabricate and lie and stuff, uh, but... And they did back then, too. They did back then, but they, they, they leave out any kind of a real human kind of emotion that people can identify with as a... As uh, as humans, you know, as a human history, as, yeah. as being humans themselves, and and that's what makes it interesting, and that is the truth about history. Because compare the story, like you just used, there's an example of, um, you know, some lone nut killing JFK. Well, not many people can relate to that just for no reason, just some crazy paranoid whatever, just go and kill a president who everybody loved. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, but if you tell the, the true story. Then you get into all sorts of intrigue and you know hierarchy of power and fighting between factions and that's all stuff that people. Well, it's can, the same thing about you know the death of Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. I mean these lone nuts. Uh, there are actually only like something like 22 or 23 actual identified conspirators, but later it was alleged that there were 60 or 60 some involved. But you get the story of the assassination of Julius Caesar that he was a tyrant and. You know, they took him out because he wanted to be king. And and when you really start studying the history, you find out that none of that was true, that if there was any event that was more similar to something in the modern day, you know, you could compare the assassination of Julius Caesar to that of John Kennedy. Well, now, of course, anybody who has uh, read the literature, <clears throat> who has watched the, uh, uh, the videos uh, collected into the evidence of revision set, you see that there were plenty of people in Texas, rich fascist Texans, including the Bush family, who were convinced that John Kennedy was trying to sell the U.S. You know, well, I'm not, I'm not sure that they were convinced, but they were promoting that as their propagandistic line that he was trying to make friends with Russia and he was trying to sell the U.S. down the river and and uh, uh, he was a traitor to his country because he didn't go and you know bomb the Ruskies and so mm, forth. I think they were convinced of that. Yeah, they yeah, so they, of it. yeah, they may have been. So you can see that there were the same kinds of ideas being bandied around about John Kennedy, who was a man for the people, as were being bandied about uh, you know Brutus, who was supposedly the hero of the assassination of of Julius Caesar, which was with Cato. I just read a book, actually, written by a, a conservative, a neoconservative politician type. I can't remember his name right offhand, where he talks about Cato as being the last great Roman citizen. And that was kind of how he was known back in those days, because he refused to give in to Caesar. He committed suicide rather than, than accede to being ruled by a tyrant. You know, and and all of these people, Cicero, Cicero lionized by our civilization because he exulted over the assassination of Julius Caesar. Well, six months later, he was writing letters saying, oh, my God, you know, what have we done? Because things are so, you know, so messed up. I really wish he was back now. So it was uh, the, the same situation and what they were supporting then, just as what they are supporting now was an oligarchy where the ones who had the freedom are the ones who were um, fighting for their freedom were basically the ones who wanted to do win everybody else. They wanted to have all the wealth to themselves, all the land to themselves. They wanted slaves. They wanted they wanted to retain their way of life, which was, you know, 
a small elite, 1%, in power, owning all the goods, everybody else starving, living on the streets. And that's what's happening now. And um, another major aspect of official history is the promotion of uh, this linear, even less uniformitarian uh, world. And uh, one major aspect that has been removed from true history is this uh, cyclical catastrophes. Although evidence are all over the place, the, just one example is the fall of the Roman Empire, uh, where you can see a succession of uh, major natural catastrophes. Or you can see uh, 23, uh, the fall of the Bronze Age, 23 centuries uh, BC, uh, with same similar events, great magnitude. In, in, in the book, if people read it, you, there are even evidence of a change in the tilt of the planet mm -hmm. due to a major cometary event. The planet shifted, the rotation axis shifted about 23 degrees, which can explain deluge like a, a phenomena. We have a uh, we have a call on the line here. I'm just going to check. Hi, do we have a caller on the line? Yes. <coughs> Yes, it's Charles uh, again. Hi, Charles. Welcome hey, to the show. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, this subject of earth changes in an uh, electric universe, along the lines of what you guys are saying, I, I, I was kind of amusing on this whole aspect of vibration, electrical vibration affecting the human consciousness. And I really, looking into the electric universe, the, the uh, plasma, what is it called, plasma theory? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it seems right on the line for me, and uh, there was a guy that was writing about these earlier symbols and mythologies in earlier cultures that could have very well, very well been in the skies uh, through electrical fireworks, meaning the, the cosmos, so to speak, had changed according to how the circuit had changed, uh, and that's what they were actually seeing. Kind of what I was musing upon was, I'm sure you're all familiar with the harp and the book Angels Don't Play This Harp, and mm -hmm. I forget, Dr. Beltledge, how do you pronounce his last name? Do you know of the book? Yes. Oh, anyway. yeah, yes, I know the book, and I know who funded it, and I know it was a CIA operation, and it's a load of bullshit. Okay, well then, then I, I won't... <laughs> go to that but in that book he was talking about how they had a helmet where you didn't have to have actually electrodes in the brain that you could have like a football helmet that vibrationally could affect the brain with with uh, frequency and uh, so this is kind of the along the lines that I'm speaking of that down through these cyclical times as the universe electrical circuit uh, changes that it could affect the actual consciousness of people on the planet, and there mm -hmm. have been uh, there have been these uh, graphs done of like sunspot heights and major events in history uh, correlating. Uh, and uh, so here was kind of what I was musing on to get to my point. Um, you know this whole chemtrail thing, and you, you've probably heard of these. You know people that get into black magic and stuff, going to ley lines, natural ley lines. A lot of these old structures evidently work with um, maybe electrical energy, maybe other forms of magnetic energy or whatever. And they go to these old sites and do weird kind of rituals and stuff to kind of darken the natural energy. So here's the point. Uh, this whole chemtrail thing that's happening worldwide, you know, there's a lot of 
postulations of what it's for. But then I started thinking, well, maybe we're in, we're coming into a new cycle where people naturally will have an expanded consciousness, and they're dampening down this vibration with these, you know, they're they're interrupting the electrical signals just like with cell towers and all that. That that's kind of where I was taking it. <laughs> Sorry for okay. the long explanation. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, there are many things you, many topics yeah. you you developed in a, in your comments. Mm, what to start with? The, well, the, the devil is in the, in the detail, and uh, there are some assumptions that you mentioned that might not be true. The the one that stuck out for me, yeah. or uh-huh. that um, currently human beings have an expanded consciousness. Um, I'm not sure about that. I think uh, today. We've rarely reached a point where the amount of lies believed by human beings has been this high. And uh, that's quite antinomic with expanded consciousness that, from my point of view, would be correlated with truth. More truth connecting the dot, intelligence, that's expanding consciousness. Uh, this being said about chemtrails, in the, in the book there's a, a whole uh, chapter dedicated to, to chemtrails. There are major evidences that uh, chemtrails are due to uh, condensation, basically. Condensation, why? Because the upper atmosphere, 10 kilometers high or 7 miles high, where most airlines are, are cruising, is cooling down. The higher atmosphere is cooling down. It's been uh, vastly documented. And it means that uh, since it's cooler, there's more condensation, and uh, uh, reactors or jets that were not creating condensation before are creating a condensation now. And uh, if you think about it, the first jets appeared before um, contrails appeared. So you mean it's not jets per se, or it's at one point, maybe during the 60s or 70s, you had a, a shift in a high atmosphere temperature, a cooling down that increased the condensation phenomena. So are you saying that chemtrails are just an aspect of, they're not actually spraying chemicals, that they're, it's just a no. condensation <laughs> change? Let, let me, let me handle, hand, let me, let me, let me deal with this. We, have you, do you, are, do you read our website, sot.net? Yeah. Okay. Why don't you just use our little search thing? And we've got a couple of, uh, several articles, in fact, devoted to the topic, even though we've expanded on it a great deal more in this book. But the point that uh, Pierre is trying to make is that, and, and, I'll, and I'll give you a little background. Have you read my series called The Wave? I have not. Okay. In, in that series, I recount, uh, it's kind of like uh, Laura's Adventures in New Age Land and, and, and uh, Alien Land. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it's really kind of strange because, you know, it, since I'm married to a physicist, it makes my, my dabblings just a little bit more... Uh, more strange. Um, back uh, back in uh, back in the day, and this was back in what the uh, early 90s. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in New Age land. There was talks about photon belts, and then along came uh, Comet Hale Bop, and there was this big brouhaha about Comet Hale Bop being followed by a of uh, some kind of an artificial body that was full of aliens they were coming to invade. There was all of this stuff about uh, Zechariah Sitchin and the return of the Anunnaki. Right. Uh, there, there was just this, you know, 
enormous uh, distortion of what was actually going on and what ancient things actually said. Well, so my husband comes along and um, uh, we're interested in, for example, particularly crop circles, right? So we made our interest in crop circles known fairly early on. And we were contacted by an organization, and I've written about it and even given the names and used, and used some uh, emails as the evidence and some news articles and so forth in my online version of the wave. We were contacted, and a person wanted to, and my husband was at the time working at the University of Florida in Gainesville. He got an email from this organization said, we want to fund you to write a book on crop circles. Uh, we funded uh, Nick Begich to write Angels Don't Play This Harp. Okay? Same people. Right. And you can see, if you look inside the book, you know that he gives his appreciation to the organization in question. And so my husband said, well, yeah, I'm interested. I'll meet you. Here I am. And even though the person writing was actually in California, they said, oh, no, I can't meet you right now. I'll meet you when you're back in Poland. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that seemed a little odd. So he yeah. goes back to Poland, and then the person contacted him again and said, okay, I'll meet you now. You know, we'll go to this, and they agreed to meet in this other city. So he gets on the train, travels over there. And in in the wave, I have described the meeting uh, to some, you know, pretty, according to the way he described it to me in an email at the time, because he he wrote me an email, and and I even reproduced his letter. He said, well, this person, Sue, what's her name? You know, she shows up, and she's, uh, he described what she looked like and how she talked and what she talked about. And basically, what they wanted us to do was they wanted my husband, as a physicist, to write a book about crop circles, but he was going to write it the way they wanted him to write it and say that's what weird. they wanted him to say. Hmm. And well, that's strange. Plenty of money. Oh, well, isn't it? Plenty of money is going to be involved. Okay? Who's yeah. going to set us up for life? Okay? Well, so this these is kind of going people. in a different, this going okay, in a different well, direction, but, but why would you think that uh, this whole Angels Don't Play, that why would the CIA trying to be putting that okay, out there? What's the point? This is explained in great detail in this book, in book. that I've got right okay. in Right in front of, and we've also talked about it many times for free on the website. The point okay. is that they want people to believe that all of this stuff that's going on on the planet is human caused. That's even why there is now oh, this huge push for this human caused global warming thing. Because when things are human caused, even if it's even if it's the CIA doing it, you know, if, if the military is doing experiments on us and, the, and humans are causing it, there's always the idea in the minds of the masses, well, it's our government that did it. That means they're powerful. That means that if, they, if we get enough petitions going, if we, it can, be stopped. Uh, we can somehow stop this. Yeah. You know, that we can somehow change this. If this stuff in the atmosphere that's going on is caused by the government, all we have to do is expose them, damn it. I mean, it's like Edward Snowden. All you have to do is expose right. them, and that will stop what they're doing. That will change what they're doing because they're really in control. What if they are freaking not in control? What? And, I mean, it's like the alien thing. This was another big mm-hmm. one that just really knocked my socks off. You find mm-hmm. out that the government is doing, is imitating alien abductions and so forth 
because they don't want people to find out the truth about the fact that they have no control whatsoever over what any kind of alien beings are doing here on this planet. There is there, there is no agreement. There is no uh, unification between aliens and humans. You know, there is no... Uh, yeah. it, it, they, they all want to continue to give this illusion of control because once, once the masses of humanity realize that the planet is under assault... And it's under assault. Okay, that's your, end, that's your end point. Your end point is yeah. the aliens are in control. Is that your end no, point? No, or no. that there are other forces? Well, in a general sense, when yeah. you're looking at any of these conspiracy theories about chemtrails or aliens or anything like that, you, it, the argument that is put, that's been put out there by the powers that be is to, is to do what Lord just said they want to do, which is to convince the population that it's being done by the powers that be, therefore the people think, well, we can stop them. We can stop them spraying chemtrails. We can stop them, you know, global warming, for example. We can we can have a, you know, have kind of reduce our carbon footprint and stuff. And also, in their benefit, uh, so that to keep people happy and think that at least you know it's controllable. And from ben- to the benefit of the powers that be, it's that uh, it gives them makes the people at the same time feel that the powers that be are in control of it. Essentially, it's all under human control in one way. Either it's being controlled by the powers that be who are evil or doing it for bad reasons, or we can get control of it by stopping them from doing that. But the, the, the truth of the matter seems to be that it's beyond anybody's control. It's a cosmic phenomenon, and okay. that's much more okay. dangerous and much more scary for everybody. Yeah, because think about this. Now, the other night we watched this uh, weird movie. What was that thing that Pompeii watched? A, a fairly recently Pompeii, yeah. made Pompeii movie. Did you see that? I haven't seen that. I saw well, the it was. Well, it was pretty interesting. I mean, uh, uh, you know, if you know enough about the eruption at that time and what was going on, it was, it was actually, the story was cheesy as hell, but, you know, so don't watch it for the story. <laughs> Special effects were great, though. But they introduced this movie with a quote from Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger's uncle, or great-uncle, Pliny the Elder, yeah. was a naturalist and wrote all these great books, right? I don't know if you've read Pliny, but he's really worth reading. Yeah, and, I've heard uh, of him talking about, you know, 125-year-old guys that were eating honey and they had this real long lifespan. But anyways. Yeah, yeah, way more than that. Way more than that. If you, if you, don't, <laughs> if you never, before you die, please read Pliny's Natural History. I mean, it's just, it's a great okay. romp. And, uh, That's the so name now, of the book? Yeah, Natural History, Pliny. Okay. So anyhow... Pliny uh, was observing the volcanic eruption, and he went over to try to you know, give some aid and assistance. He was across the Bay of, Bay of Naples right there. And he got killed in the eruption from the gases. Okay, so his nephew, who did not get in the boat to go over and try to give help, was you know, continuing to observe. And he wrote an account of it in a letter to, uh, or in a history, and also in a letter to one of his friends, uh, Tacitus, who you may have also heard of, was a great historian of that time. And one of the things he said was that people were crying. You could hear men crying, women crying. And the main thing they were crying was, why have the gods turned against us? Okay? Now, if you read enough ancient history, you will discover that this is the reaction that people have, and that's what Joe just mentioned a while ago, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Even the most confirmed atheist, I'm telling you, in the midst of a terrible natural disaster will have some frisson 
some feeling that there is some supernatural power that has turned against humanity and has allowed a terrible thing to happen because it is almost hardwired into the human psyche to understand that what happens in these larger global events, eruptions, earthquakes, tsunamis, you know, bombardments, uh, you know, uh, weather phenomena, tornadoes, hurricanes, that there is something of the gods in that. Okay? Yeah, well, now, you know, I'm, I'm following yeah, well, with that, you. I, I don't know that I buy fin- this. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Let me finish. So if things were happening everywhere and it were understood by the masses of humanity that the gods were not happy receive of them. Who would I'm sorry they I missed blame? that last statement. Oh, yeah. Who well, you know, would I don't blame? you know, I uh, no, I uh, no, no, are you, you saying blame. Wait, they are you always, saying then that if people if things are out of the control, kind of like the whole, again, it's like the alien issue where people knew that aliens had all the power and the U.S. government couldn't do anything, they'd freak out so the government has to keep it silent. If you're not saying that, if you're saying, well, it's natural cosmic events that we can't control as a society, and so we have to put all it's these the other facades it's so that same. people... Forget it's about aliens. Forget about aliens for a minute. Forget they even exist. You don't even need well, aliens if, if people, if, for example, if all of a sudden, uh, you know, all kinds of things started falling hard and fast on the earth, mm-hmm. and people would start saying, you know, I mean, are they going to blame it on aliens? Aliens are just the next level up from the government. You know, well, they're, they're still, you know, there's still a, a, uh, uh, an identifiable source or cause, not something that's big and awesome and scary, but always and ever when these things have begun to happen through the ages traditionally in history over and over again whenever it happens the people begin to perceive that god or the gods are not happy they always blame the ruling government and they go after them Mm -hmm. the king must die i don't see that i'm sorry i just don't see the I, i i i get where you're going with that, that there are these cosmic things that are happening and people blame God and there's social, but to say that the things that are going on politically and technologically by the very rich uh, concentrated wealth is just uh, because they don't want people to know that things are out of their control. I think there's a lot more self-interest involved. You're 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 mixing apples and oranges it's, here. Nobody saying, was talking about. We're not that. saying everything. We're saying certain things. For example, chemtrails is one example. I mean, people are. You don't believe and, that chemtrails are put in in for for a, a scientific purpose? No, that you may happen on a small. That may happen on a small scale. But the idea of people all around the planet looking up and looking at contrails and saying, "Oh my God, they're spraying us," is not even true. Are you on the chat? Well, room, have you looked? Well, let, I'm sorry. Could I interrupt? Let, 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 me, let me give have you, you a look. Have you looked at the? Have you looked at the the woman that worked for the Air Force that was responsible yes, for hazmat? Yes, and she's not credible. She she's not cre- she's not credible. The thing is, there is an explanation, a scientific explanation for All these chemtrails, but it means that there's a change in our atmosphere. It doesn't uh, augur well for the future. It, it it portends bad things for our planet. What about the, the barium, the stronium, and what about well, the barium, the stronium, and the and the aluminum oxide? Is that it? That's a natural byproduct. No, no. Pollution. Byproducts of industrial pollution. Let me tell Mining. you something, Charles. 
yeah. back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. They sent into the upper levels of the atmosphere of this planet atomic bombs and exploded them. That's right. In those layers the of the atmosphere. Right. Now, those, those atomic bombs were loaded with metallic needles. They put a mm-hmm. cloud of metallic needles all around our planet as a reflecting shield, a bounce target shield. You know what that is? So that you can bounce mm-hmm. beams from Radio different waves. parts uh, from one place all around the planet if you aim it right. It hits this, uh, this shield, and then it bounces back, okay? They put all mm-hmm. of that up there back then, these needles, these metallic needles. That yeah. is what that is what HARP works okay. with. Well, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting HARP point that all the barium and the strontium and the ammonium oxide you're saying are from the nukes they exploded back in the 50s. No, and, and, I didn't say okay. that. Okay, I I'm said, just asking. <laughs> no, I'm saying the needles are up there, the barium, the strontium, all that kind of stuff. A lot of that is just from ordinary industrial so-called fallout. Now, there is also a very good possibility that they do deliberately go up and spray chemicals if it's a low-flying spray. And usually they do this when, it's all, when the weather is already on the change and they can get away with it. But yeah, because this has what, been spiking since like 2000 and, uh, or 95. It's not been yes. since the 50s. Yes. Mm-hmm. These, right. these, these barium and, and strontium and the acidity of the soil, this has been happening from what I've heard. Now, granted, there's always sources and there's sources, and, and uh, you know, I don't research everything, but the rabbit holes I've gone down, that's, that's, you know, that's what I've we do. heard. Oh, um, well, good. You're on top of it more than I am then. Charles, um, the yeah. low altitude spraying has been documented. It's been conducted by Fordetric uh, Division, Microbiology, Fordetric, yeah. in, uh, in Cuba, for example. Low altitude spraying is an interesting way of uh, um, damaging or inducing disease or, or killing people because you can target it. High altitude spraying, on the contrary, it's extremely inaccurate delivery method. It can take up to two years. That's documented. Uh, that's, uh, there are papers about that. But it can take up to two years for aerosols to drop from 10,000 meter altitude to the ground, knowing that at this altitude you have jet streams blowing at 300 kilometers an hour. 200 miles an hour. Yeah. So when you drop at this altitude, you don't know when it's going to drop or where or, or where it's going to, going to hit. And uh, the second element about um, contrails, condensation trails, is that. The first planes that reach this 10,000 meters or 33,000 feet altitudes were the bombers during the Second World War. And at this time, the pilots were already complaining about contrails because it was giving away their position. So from the very beginning of uh, high-altitude aviation, you had this contrail phenomena that increased drastically around the 90s where, surprise, surprise, the stratosphere, and that's documented as well, the stratosphere started to drop in temperature, increasing the condensation phenomenon. So that increases the, the contrail appearance, and the people call it chemtrails. But even look at it from a logical point of view, Charles, given those, that data, you know they're supposedly spraying these chemtrails up at 30,000 feet from these commercial airliners, or you know, fake commercial airliners, or whatever they say, and uh, there's 200 mile an hour winds up there. It takes two years to come to the ground. I mean, what powers that be are going to do that? Are, are they all wearing gas masks? 
so that in two years' time, when it probably hits them, they're not going to get. I mean, it doesn't really well, make course, sense. As I can. Well, of course, it doesn't make sense. And but neither does exploding nuclear weapons in the upper ionosphere. Neither does GM genetically sure. modified foods. I mean, yeah, these yeah, are people that are. Yeah, but they don't, they don't have to eat. GM. They don't have to eat GM either. You know, like uh, in the White true. House, they serve fried beef. You so, know? so <laughs> I'm going to read. I'm going to read this. Uh, this stuff that you've done on this because it's an interesting angle. But so let me just get this straight. So you're saying that. The, uh, whether through nuclear bombs being exploded in the upper ionosphere, whether it's all the space shuttles going up and the crap they're spraying up there. And, and But when I was a kid, you know, I'm 60 years old, so when I was a kid, I'd look up. You never saw cam- chemtrail last, let alone spread out and mist over the mm-hmm. whole sky. And I, yep. I've and noticed that point. you look up with that. Things that's are changing. Things point. have changed. The, the sky itself has changed. The atmosphere has changed. As and Pierre just okay. said, the upper... Well, thank you, folks. I, I, I won't, I won't uh, interrupt your, your, the, the mode of your, <laughs> your conversation okay. any longer. Yeah. Thank you. I'll read it on your site. And, Charles, just if, if you get a chance, there's a website called Metabunk. And Metabunk, just do a search, okay. Do a search on yeah. Google for Meta, Metabunk and Chemtrail Plane Interior, just in case you've... Any questions about the, about all those barrels you see in planes and all what that? What was kind of the stuff. other one? Uh, Metabunk and what? Uh, just search for Metabunk. The article is titled "Chemtrail Plane Interior." Okay. Check it out. Uh, thanks, folks. Sorry, sorry right, if folks. this went on too long. <laughs> no problem. That's okay. Thank you, Charlie. Bye bye. Bye bye. Do you want to go to another call? We have another call. Oh, we don't have another call. Oh, we don't have another call. Listener, you're a listener. That's Joe calling in. Hey, Joe, what's your question? That was well, uh, our listener, yeah. Okay. That's an interesting point that uh, Charles raised. Uh, obviously, there's no chemtrail, but uh, um, he bought into this uh, narrative spread by the PTBs. And uh, while writing this book, that a consistent recurring pattern we discovered that systematically those hush changes are masquerade or presented as man-made, i.e. controllable, unrelated, and minor. Uh, you see the way fireballs are disguised as a missile test. You see the way um, climate change is disguised as man-made, anthropogenic, global yeah, warming. Global warming. Um, you see how uh, um, pipe breaking is presented as the sole cause of sinkholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, systematically, mm-hmm. Those phenomena are downplayed, and uh, and right. and when you dig, actually, that, that was fascinating. While uh, <clears throat> digging those topics, when you when you research, you see that all those phenomena are very probably caused, or are very probably due to the very same core cause, which is earth changes. Uh, yeah, well, the earth changes is a phenomenon, is a phenomena, but the, the cause is uh, very probably the, the approaching uh, sun twin and its cometary swarm, and uh, yeah. just this factor can explain. Uh, but there's a very, there's a very simple kind of logical process you can follow uh, to explain this to yourself and see that it's the most likely explanation of what we're saying, which is that uh, ask yourself: Do you agree that uh, the powers that be? Uh, make a lot of efforts or generally generally speaking try to project the idea that they are powerful and in control and are authorities. I think most people would agree they do that. They do that. But they are in authority, 
no more, have more power and control over the people. Most people would agree with that because it's self-evident. And if you consider then what those kind of people would do if they came across information that they feared or suspected might leak out to the public that was going to undermine that position of their authority. That might really damage them. Yes. What would they do? Most likely, if they have a lot of power, they would attempt to subvert that truth and twist it around so that it appears that it's actually something that they can control and they can do something yeah. about. Or even in this case of global warming, we all need to do something about it. Y'all are turning lights on too much. Y'all are, you know, cows are, you know... Eating too much grass. Eating too much grass. <laughs> and and it's too been too. extraordinarily... Stop feeding your cows. It's extraordinarily successful. Oh, Every time... Because people want to believe it. That's the thing. People want yeah, to believe it. it, it they kind want of to control. believe that that's human beings are in charge. And that they are safe. Safety. Because, right, that's, uh, that's something safe. I mean, even if they're evil human beings, it's something familiar. It's better I than... I mean, the devil you know is yeah. better than the devil you don't know. But look at the irony here. It's very likely that the abuse, the lies spread by the elites tend to increase the cosmic reactions. Exactly. We, meanwhile, most human beings believe that those very same elites are the ones who protect them, while in reality they are the ones who trigger what we destroy the population. And that's why, you, you see? That's why that knowledge, like we were saying, the, or Laura was saying at the beginning of the show, that the suppression of that knowledge of uh, there being this connection between corrupt leadership and a kind of corrupt society that fil- filters down to ordinary people and everybody's behaving in a very unhuman or inhuman kind of way, that that, that does in some way attract some kind of a cataclysms or disasters on the planet, uh, that that information had to be suppressed uh, because it essentially would act as a a block or a, a preventative measure to the elites acting in a corrupt or corrupt way, you know, and accruing power to themselves and being abusive and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the people would effectively stop it. It was generally known. So that that knowledge has the potential to lead to a very good and even ideal human society, if only out of fear of being kaboom splatted, if you don't get your act together and stop pissing around, well, <laughs> stop, stop messing around, you know, and stop, uh, act, act, act decent, act, uh, act humane. Uh, and, and they suppress that and ultimately bring it on. But again, we're not talking about, you know, the problem here is that we're not talking about like imminently, you know. I mean, obviously, societies can go along for quite a long time being quite corrupt and nasty and not very humane, and nothing happens. 200,000 here, 200,000 there, you know, so, million in Iraq, uh, yeah. you know, tsunami, you know, hurricane. It's just... Well, when you look at historic records, for example, the, the period of time between the fall of the Roman Empire, 6th century AD, and the Black Death... 14th century AD, um, if you remove the blank where there was almost no activity in Europe, that lasted about three centuries, it means that uh, in about four centuries, civilization in Europe managed to recover, develop, and trigger one more cycle of destruction because of probably the Crusades, the Inquisition, and other abuse of this kind. So it gives you an idea of the, of the situation. Uh, in only a few centuries managed to recreate everything and to trigger 
the magnitude, uh, high magnitude destruction. The kind of problem I have with it, with it is that where's the motivation for people <clears throat> to do something about it? You know, say this was 300 years ago and people were aware of it. They would say that, well, if we don't sort our society out and stop this kind of evil powers that be doing their thing and polarizing society and messing society up and treating people badly, in a few hundred years, the planet will suffer some kind of a uh, destruction or some kind of a cosmic uh, response from that kind of... So, so we're not talking about a few hundred years. I know, years that now. was back we're then. Talking, yeah. the, the motivation is on people now because it's all around that this is what's it's happened. Happening the culmination now. of all these years of, of abuses and a polarized society. So we need... But then, the problem then is it's not too late then to do something about that, you know? And should it not have been done hundreds of years ago? But people hundreds of years ago didn't have the motivation to do it because they... They couldn't see it. And they couldn't see it. Maybe it wasn't happening so much, you know, in the sense that it wasn't quite so bad as it is today. Yeah. So it's almost like a catch-22 where it's, it's almost <laughs> inevitable, you know, uh, unless... Well, the only thing is, is, is like, uh, when you study the historical record, you discover that there's some people who do see, and they pass through those events, and they come out on the other side and and survive, mm-hmm. Um yeah, what you say, Joe, the, this catch-22, it's, it's true that after a cycle of destruction, this notion of destruction and human cosmic connection is present in all the minds. I mean, in the minds of the one who survived, at least. But then, in this cycle, during the recovery time, usually you have less intensity in a cataclysm, and you might, or PTBs, might uh, promote this paradigm of... Uh, <clears throat> even less peaceful environment and they can sever the human cosmic connection and the more they sever it the more people uh, forget about their responsibility forget about what might happen and they go to this slippery slope and you have destruction again and then next generation that survive is aware of it but generation after generation PTBs rewrite the history they made their their role and to sh- to hide the fact that they were responsible or that they didn't manage to fulfill their main responsibility, i.e. protecting the population. And this point has been clearly defined politically by the, by the Chinese, for example, this notion of mandate of heaven is very extensively documented in China for centuries, for millennia, there, is, there has been this notion that the leader is here but only for a definite period of time. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't fulfill his responsibility, i.e. developing a peaceful, harmonious world, the population and the cosmic heavens will remove it. That's why it's mandate of heaven. It's yeah. the heaven that gives him the mandate to rule. So if he doesn't rule well, cataclysm will remove him yeah, and the population. So, and the population. So what you would really need is some kind of an ideal society where people are aware of this information, aware of this connection, human-cosmic connection, and that they take responsibility, they have a sense of responsibility to future generations to not set the society on a path that ultimately will lead to destruction. Exactly. So that's the kind of solution to it, but how do you get... Well, let me, let me just give a little example. It just kind of occurred to me as I was sitting here listening. Um, I just mentioned that when these kinds of things happen, people do figure out... Some people survive. Sometimes it's a lucky survival and sometimes it's deliberate because somebody knows what's coming. They know uh, from reading the historical record how it's going to uh, act or affect the, the you know the surroundings, and they 
put themselves into a position or a place where they uh, survive uh, more heartily than others. And take the uh, the collapse of Rome, for example, the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, at the time that this happened, there was a big uh, theological argument that was still still raging to some extent, although Christianity had kind of sort of won, but it still... It still was a little iffy. Christianity hadn't won as thoroughly as they like to present in their history. And it was all of these terrible things are happening that were recorded by the chroniclers of the time, which incidentally are very similar to the things that are happening today in both scope and description. Uh, and they were blaming, okay, it's because we have turned away from the old gods and this new Christian god. It's, it's, that's, that's, the gods are angry because y'all have let Christianity in the door. On the other side, the Christians were saying, oh, no, the old gods are no good, and all of this is happening because, you know, the real God is just testing all of us to see if we can, you know, hold on and be true, right? Mm -hmm. So they took this idea, and they started forming enclaves uh, in various places, for example, in Italy and, um, you know, areas around the Mediterranean. And they formed these enclaves that later came to be monasteries and they took their books and they took their you know some slaves there and you know they were basically wealthy people who uh, turned their estates into enclaves of survival okay so they survived all of this so they came out on top interestingly and Christianity because they were on top and they were the the ones who could read and write and they were the ones who were the leaders and I and I'm greatly simplifying this so Christianity came to be the dominating political idea and of course you know much of what had happened had to be covered up or had to be eliminated from the record because they didn't want this argument to go on that the reason all of this happened was because of this new christian god so everything was rewritten and reinterpreted and a lot of that happened to uh to the ancient literature so Christianity came along, and Christianity presented this idea that there was one great truth, one God, etc. And this acted on people, a lot of people at the time, and they took it to heart, and they grew up, and they said, well, if, there's only, if, there's, if truth is the main thing that matters, let me find out the truth. And this, you know, oddly enough, led to the scientific revolution, because once they had the idea that there was truth and truth could be known in the world and so forth, they began searching for it, and then they applied this truth test to their own religion and determined that it didn't pass the test. So then there was the Reformation, and then there was the Counter-Reformation, and then the Scientific Revolution. So in a way, Christianity <clears throat> that was uh, kind of grafted onto Judaism, one God, one truth, the truth, was the parent of the Scientific Revolution. Uh, that was coming along, and then as Pierre points out, somewhere around the same time that this was happening, this Renaissance, there was the Black Death. And the Black Death clearly was accompanied by quite a bit of cometary and destructive activity, I mean, mass destruction on a massive level. And this is something that's covered very well by Mike Bailey in his book, um, New Light on the Black Death. So at the end of all of that... The ones who kind of survived or the ones that came out on top were the, the, the scientific types, the materialist types. So now we've got a cycle where science has been in the driver's seat. And in a funny sort of way, if you looked at it from as a cosmic outsider, it would be almost as though you know, different tests were being run on the 
organism of the planet, you know, which kind of of ideas or ideology, you know, is going to work to make you people figure out that you need to stop acting this way. So they tried, you know, uh, the, the old pagan religion, that, that didn't work. Then Christianity got its fair chance. That didn't work. That was a big mess. Now, okay, let's bring out science. Science, which is, you know, searching for the truth. But then tr- science went completely awry into this, you know, absolute materialism. Science is now in the service of the same wealthy elite that the church fell into service to, you know, when they came out on top. Now the scientists, you know, they just build bigger and better bombs and bigger and better computers so they can track more and more people and then they and then they've got drones so they can, you know, kill them at a distance and so forth. So now science and science has done a bigger and badder job of it than the church ever did. Yeah, and there's two ironies here. Usually we we think that science and religion work in opposition, you know. And when you think about it, you realize that Christianity by postulating this transcendent work God paved the way for modern science because if there is a transcendent remote God at the same time it was posited that human beings on planet are ruled by natural laws and that was the main function of science for decades to, find to figure out, out the natural, natural laws and science ended up by spreading this materialistic vision of the world that was Killing God, basically. There's no more God. We are gods. There's no more rule. There's no more good. There's no more bad. But ironically, science kept on progressing and developing and uh, or regressing, whatever. And uh, it's science through quantum physics that reinstituted partly the seeds of the human cosmic connection. Christianity has removed it or severed it. Science, materialistic science, had killed it, removed it. But science, one aspect of science, quant- quantum physics in particular, suggested it again by uh, proposing the role of the observer. And if you pull the thread, role of the observer, it's what? Co- individual consciousness, observer, human beings, for example, Affect- living entities affecting the observer. that have an influence thread- on a material event. When you pull that thread, you end up at non-material information that has to be prior to the existence of matter. So God has been reborn, so to speak. It's just not really, you know, the bearded guy sitting in the clouds in the sky. It's basically a cosmic mind. Yeah. Okay. And now that the, the, the PTBs are trying to prevent people from pulling this thread. So the current narrative is, oh yeah, okay, but the Schrodinger's cat or this. Uh, the role of the observer only applied to a quantum uncertainty and microscopic level, electron levels, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's only the small particles that are affected and sometimes they go left, they go right, depending if you observe or not. But it doesn't change anything because of a decoherence principle. It doesn't apply to macro events, comets or whatever. But now if you, you start to, to search into a, what is called psychokinesis or telekinesis, you discover hundreds, hundreds of, um, of papers, scientific papers, showing that human beings do have an influence on random events, like throwing dice, yeah. like uh, any kind of events that you, you can't, I mean, I, I was very surprised to discover there was so much very robust 
studies about this topic. So human beings do have an influence on macro events. Group of human beings do have even greater influence, but the influence, and that's where the twist of the new age is, the influence is not necessarily correlated to what you wish. Well, do you know what the, pro- the problem there is? Like, as you say in the program, we should get into that because it, it gets into the human cosmic connection and the evidence, <clears throat> the evidence for it. Um, when you say that the, you know, the role of the observer, quantum mechanics and stuff, and the role of the observer, they say only applies at the micro level, at the subatomic level and particles and stuff. Um, obviously, you know, there's, there's an obvious analogy you could draw there that, uh, you know, uh, Wind w- will blow a small piece of paper or a piece of dust, um, a, a, a light breeze. Um, but obviously, you're not going to say, well, wind can only knock down or only move a small piece of paper as a result of that, because obviously a hurricane or much stronger wind can blow down a house or affect much greater. So they don't seem to have expanded out with that, using that basic analogy to say, well, if, if, uh, if it can happen at the micro level, then maybe it can happen because we're dealing with kind of um, some kind of energy or energy exchange, expanded out to uh, to not just one human, but to all humans together. And what effect they all might have, maybe they all together may be able to affect changes or influences on a macro scale. But obviously the problem is you can't test everybody on the planet in a certain in a direct way for what they may be able to influence on the planet. Well, yeah, it's interesting because the, the basics of... Uh quantum physics where that one single observer had an influence on the particle level mm-hmm. uh, random events, mm-hmm. quote-unquote. Um, and why do you say that? Because beyond that, it can apply to macro events, yeah. big events, and an influence not exerted by one single individual, but whole population. A much stronger, and much stronger power source, that which been, could be a combination of people. You, yeah, you're right. And that has, that has been tested when... Uh, history has been testing repeatedly how uh, lies and suffering on yeah. the world scale triggers uh, uh, cosmic That's the reactions. Kind of theory, you know? Th- that you cannot really test it in, mm. a, in a lab. But what has been tested is uh, the influence of group population uh, in concert or even groups all over the world during uh, moving events televised, televised in, uh, all over the world like World Cups or the Death the, of Diana. Or the death of Lady Diana. Or 9-11. And, uh, or 9-11, mm-hmm. true. And uh, they measured strong deviation in random event generators located all over the planet. So human beings, obviously, when they, how to say that, vibrate in unison on the same emotional tune or, and or intellectual tune. Mm-hmm. They put out a signal. They send a signal that affects what oh. is considered as random and which suddenly is not random anymore but again it's not necessarily what you think or what you want apparently emotions and beliefs unconscious beliefs unconscious exactly emotions. exactly and that's mirrored in people's lives because pe- you could give people anybody who's listening to the show or anybody in the world you could give them examples of how they on many occasions in their lives they can think for themselves where they didn't get what they intended they got the opposite of what they intended and there's an argument there that okay what do you think you want is not actually the the driving force that's actually going on in you. It's at a more more subconscious level of an emotional need or whatever that is creating your reality for you. So, I mean, there's so many examples or at least analogies that you can give that 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 tend to support this theory that it's it's real. But again, the problem is in talking about all of the people on the planet. 
having an effect or having some kind of a uh, an attractor effect. It's very difficult. To, how are you going to measure, well, how are you going to measure well, that? Well, well you see, this is why lies are being promulgated so widely and why there is a different lie program for, you know, everybody's preferences or likes or dislikes and why there is so much attention being given to dividing people. Uh, you know, there's, you know, men versus women, there's blacks versus whites, there's gay versus straight, there's um, uh, pro-life versus, you know, pro-choice, pro-choice and then there's uh, uh, Russians versus Americans, there's, you know, Poles versus Russians, uh, there's Serbians versus, you know, Croats, there's, uh, you know, Irish versus English. The Irish versus well, the English. Hang on a minute, that's justified. <laughs> oh, I know. You know, there's uh, there's just this whole thing, and it keeps people separated. And one of the biggest things that keeps people separated, and it's and it's consciously employed in France, which is language, uh, where they, you know, make the speaking of the language, you know, the the you know the language that be, so to speak, in any given country. Uh, kind of like, you know, a mandate. You have to speak it and, you know, everything has to be in that language and you never shall allow uh, anything else to come in. For example, in France, you have to, radio stations have to pay, play a majority of French songs, mm-hmm. even though people in France very much like English and U.S. rock and roll, uh, but they're not allowed to play it as often as they would like because it's against the law. And everybody in France must speak French, and they have to be, you know, incorporated into the French system. And most people in French are programmed to think that French is the only language worth speaking. And, you know, so few people in France speak English, and they know so little of what's going on in the rest of the world that it's absolutely astonishing. Even in the academic community, it's really astonishing. And the same, I think, is true in many other countries, although some countries are very, I mean, let's face it, right at this point in time, English is the language of academics. It may change to Chinese or Russian, you know, any day now, but for the moment, it's been, and for like the last 50 or 100 years, it's been English. Uh, Long before that, it was French. French had their turn, and it was known then as the lingua franca. (laughs) And now the lingua franca is English. <laughs> so, so it's, uh, they keep people divided by language. And then there's, we've found many books that have not been translated from other languages into English, many books that are not translated from English into other languages. So people around the globe do not have an even uh, level of knowledge. They do not have equal opportunity to knowledge that is available today because of this d- divisive mm-hmm. uh, system of keeping la- you know, people uh, corralled into their languages, into their countries. It keeps them divided because, you know, we're talking about a planetary system here. We're not talking about, uh, you know, just one country versus another country. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the whole planet here that's undergoing some, you know, real convulsions and it's probably yeah. going to get a lot worse. And do I think that anything will change? No, because, you know, there are people that are so convinced because they really like to believe that the powers that be are the powers that be and they don't want to give up the idea that they're causing the chemtrails. They don't want to give up the idea that, uh, 
Uh, they're in cahoots with the aliens. They don't want to give up the idea that there's some kind of breakaway civilization that really has our best interests at heart, and they're just waiting for the right moment to come out and institute a new world order mm. uh, to make everything do, all nice and, and, and handy for us. Do you think it would, uh, that a lot of people would be happy with uh, the truth of the situation, as we're suggesting, which is that they're not in control there and that effectively control, uh, responsibility is placed back on ordinary people. Do you think people would be no, they okay don't want with that? They don't want it. No, They, they want. don't want the responsibility. They want they Big Brother. Them. They want a parent. They want somebody to take responsibility. They want somebody to blame. But do, you think that, do you think there's an argument that they only want that because or in the absence of an alternative? That yeah, they're not, because they're if, not told about if, the alternative. If they, if they were to learn from, you History. know, their mother's knee, you know, like when they're when they're small children, if they were to learn the truth, they would be able to make a different choice. But most people are so inculcated already into their belief system, and it can't be changed without extreme pain. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, it hurts it, their brain. It hurts their brain, yes, because there are studies that show that uh, when a person tries to entertain an idea that goes against what they will to believe, what they have been conditioned to believe by their, you know, political, social, or religious background, that it actually, I mean, they've done brain scans, it actually releases chemicals, neurochemicals in the brain that cause pain. Mm. The same kind of chemicals that you get if you were being, you know, if you were chained up to the wall and you were being tortured by being poked with a, you know, hot iron or, or whatever, having your uh, bamboo things, you know, driven into fingernails. your fingernails. I, I had a person actually tell me that directly recently, yeah. that uh, all of the stuff I was saying about how the world really works, specifically on the political level in Russia and all that kind of stuff, Ukraine, he told me that uh, he doesn't like to think about that. He doesn't deny that it may be true, but he doesn't like to go there or think about it or accept it because it hurts his brain. And he used those words, hurts my brain. So that was an amazing confirmation for me of that study that you just cited. <laughs> it's true. And yeah. uh, now about uh, the, we mentioned beliefs, about the power of uh, beliefs. In previous shows, we talked about this Yan and June research conducted in Princeton University, 2,500,000 trials, where individuals try to influence random events. Um, and during those uh, studies, they discovered that some individuals they had an influence, but their influence was opposite to the intent. That was puzzling. So one other researcher from Princeton, Helmut Schmidt, selected, extracted those individuals who had a negative influence. And he conducted the same experiment with them. And again, they had an influence that was opposite to their desire, to their intent. So what he did, next step, he put them in a very negative environment, you know, a creepy room, small. He was telling them, he was reinforcing uh, the negative atmosphere. You're going to fail, it won't work. And, and as a result, their effect on random events was even more opposite to what they wanted, which suggests strongly that actually the main driver is not what you want, i.e. the new age, uh, what you believe, not necessarily on a Conscious, conscious level. But those people, they, what they have in common is this low level of self-confidence. What they believe deeply into their, the core of their being is that 
they would fail. If they were on white, they would get black. And actually, they are right. They wanted white, and they got black. So actually, they didn't fail somehow. But, uh, so in a funny sort of way, a person's, uh, you know, how they are treated as a child, whether or not they achieve levels of self-confidence, whether they are nurtured, whether they believe in themselves, has a lot to do with the effects that they have on their reality because like you just said if they if they don't have any confidence in themselves if their core belief is uh i i never get what i want nobody loves me nobody cares about me then that's the effect that they will have even if they're engaged in some pk experience now magnify that by the billions of people on this planet who have been abused, who are being abused in warlike situations, who are going hungry, who are losing their parents to starvation, disease, disaster, uh, to the people, you know, the young kids in the U.S. who are being exposed to that hystericized uh, uh, political system that's going on there, to uh, the way children are being raised in all the different places around the world. And you have an entire planet that may pray daily for peace, but because they are convinced that they don't deserve what they ask for, are creating war. Hmm. You mentioned two things previously. You mentioned division, and actually one of the few events, collective events, where there is no deviation, no PK effect, is during a soccer game, a football game. And the hypothetized explanation is that you have half that are cheering for team A and the other half cheering for team B and it neutralizes. So it's a kind of experimental proof of what you said previously. If there's division between people, they pull to the left and other pull to the right and the net effect is zero. And now you, you mentioned faith and that's interesting as well because there have been surveys conducted on individuals depending on their religious backgrounds and one of the main modulators of PK efficiency is faith, religious faith, huh? believing in God, the gospel, but somehow believing in something higher, believing in maybe one of the roots of the PK phenomena of the human cosmic connection. Another belief, by the way. I find it a bit, uh, it's all a bit depressing and sad in a certain way, or in, in every way, um, because you talked about authoritarian followers and people who are authoritarians and there's a lot of them and maybe it's the majority of the population they need an authority they look to an authority they want an authority um, and that they wouldn't <clears throat> they wouldn't go for the other alternative of responsibility but the kind of alternative or the more objective more truthful view of the situation that we're kind of positing is doesn't exclude an authority there is no. an authority and that people could look to and could pay homage to Etc. Etc. And they could fulfill that need in people. So an ideal world is possible, is what I'm saying. It's not condemned. It's possible theoretically, but it would only happen if if an entire generation of children could be raised with nurturance and love and understanding and full teaching of you know knowledge of what really is and so forth. And then the old generation were allowed to die off, and this new generation would come forward and be the you know the hope of the world because people are so damaged they're so wounded uh that the ones who can overcome that damage that wounding the ones who can 
work on themselves, so to speak, uh, who can tolerate that brain pain past it and reach the truth and discipline themselves to look at it fully in the face are few and far between. One in 10,000 or one in a million. Are, it, you know, as far as we can see, it's, it's even less than that. It's a, it's a vanishingly small number. Um, I'm going to check to see if we have a call here on the line. Hi, do we have a caller on the line? Yes, you do. Hi, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, I'm Lori. I'm calling from Idaho. I've talked hey, to you guys Lori. a couple times. Hey, welcome back. I just back. wanted to tell you that it makes it makes my brain hurt to watch all these other people absolutely refuse to see the truth about anything. <laughs> True. It's yeah, it's, it's the opposite way. Well. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. it is. There are and some people hard. that are born that way. It's painful to learn that everything you thought you knew was a lie, but at the same time, it's it's important. Mm-hmm. And I just I have a, I have a really hard time with people absolutely refusing to see anything differently than the way they already look at it. It's it's really difficult to walk in the world and in a do that, see what's going yeah. on, and not be able to say anything because everybody will look at you like you're out of your mind or you need medication mm. or yeah it's um it's kind of very frustrating because people are attached to this information what they believe and the fact of the matter is it was just given to them when they were kind of clean slates when they were children i mean it's really it should be nothing to them to change it for something else but for some reason the way human beings are are uh, made uh, psychologically and uh, even anatomically that that there's this pain factor of changing over from beliefs, you know? And obviously it's even yeah. worse when those, when those beliefs are founded in some kind of trauma that is burned into the kind of brain or burned into the, into the psyche, you know? Yeah, like the thought. information that you guys put on the website about how some people are just hardwired to be authoritarian yeah. followers. That's a lot of good information out there, but it, it's so hard to have any kind of hope for the world yeah, when you read that kind you, of stuff and see that it's it's just an it's an insurmountable obstacle to anything good happening on this planet, in my point of view. Yeah, and it's made worse by the fact that there could be a nature aspect to it as well. That it's not just that yeah. humans are clean, clean slates when they're born, but that some people who are born have a strong proclivity for uh, a certain beliefs about the world, and they're not good for other people. If you know what I mean. Here, I'm obviously referring to psychopaths. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the that's a real wild card, you know, because uh, if it was just ordinary human beings, there's a chance that people could be changed and, you know, healed and cured and become more n- normal, natural humans. But if you've got this kind of element of where there's people who are essentially not normal, natural humans and they have a very destructive principle as part of their being. And then the, the psychopathy and the authoritarian follower hardwiring issue kind of like fit together like pieces of a puzzle. Absolutely, and like a hand in a glove. It, yeah, it just it just makes it hard to hope for anything. <laughs> but I think you bring up an interesting point here. Those people for whom the lies and the reality are actually painful, and I and I think they are kind of unique. I said they're they're, they're small in in number. They're not a lot of them, but it seems that they grow up and they are told what to think or believe, but their powers of observation are equivalent 
uh, or in some sense uh, balanced against, you know, what goes into their brain. They don't, uh, and they notice things, you know, wait a minute, you said this, but, uh, you know, I noticed that. And they begin to compare things. And once again, this comes back to that kind of person I, I mentioned a while ago that, that uh, brought about the scientific revolution and Bob Altemeyer talks about it in his book, Amazing Conversions, the kinds of people in whom the idea that truth is a goal uh, becomes uh, their, basically their belief, and yeah. then and, and that it is attainable. And then they begin to look for it and they begin to apply the methods of uh, observation and rationality to discover what the truth is. And usually they end up having to give up their religion. They usually end up having to give up their politics. They have to give up their ideas yep. that, that their families are wonderful and perfect and, you know, all of these different things that we learn in our world. And then they, but the thing is, is everyone that he talked to, interviewed in, the, in this book, they all said, without exception, it was long and painful but it was worth it and i find that I'd have fascinating to agree. i'd have to agree with that as far as my own journey goes anyway what if you add i think i have well i know i have a very strong not sense of empathy i'm just empathic and learning the truth and being able when i go about in my world and i look at people and i hear what they say i get a lot of a lot of what they're feeling from them too and I think that's yeah. kind of what makes it painful as well. Yeah. And when I'm listening to you, Lori, it makes me think that what makes me sad in this situation is that obviously you have maybe 5% of psychopaths that won't change. They're wired this way. You might have a few percent on the opposite side of spectrum that uh, are, let's call them truth seeker. And the problem is that the vast majority in between have been subjugated that's the definition of polarization, by the way. I've been subjugated to the, to the ideas, to the twisted ideas, lies, and suffering induced by psychopaths. And uh, most of those authoritarian followers, uh, their name indicates, are followers. And I think if they were subjected to a more positive influence, it would be uh, totally different. Yeah. I agree. And it is. It's, it's, it's sad and pathetic. Well, hopefully it won't last too long. <laughs> Probably not. Something will change. Something will change some way, somehow, along the way. Um, yeah, well, I just hope that if we, if we have to have a radical change, that the next phase gets it more right, if you know what I mean. Only if those who see it now uh, understand what to do and how to do it, because... You know, like I said, uh, when the when the Roman Empire went down, there were a bunch of people who saw what was going on and they made preparations to survive. They ended up becoming the imposers of Christianity. Well, they don't have to be the only ones that survive. I mean, other people can learn these lessons too if they're bright enough, and that's what we spend all of our time working to ensure that somebody else who has a clue can get through this and come out on the other side and say, listen, this is what happened and this is what we all need to remember. Let's do it different this time. 
So, you know, that makes me feel a little better. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Lori. You're welcome. Okay, thank Please. you. You guys have a great day, and thanks for the show. You too. You're thank welcome. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So, do, we've touched a little bit on the the evidence for human cosmic connection. Is there anything more explicit on the kind of experiments that were done or... Um, I mean, we just mentioned it, but in the book, in, in the last part of, of the book, uh, your book, there's a, it goes into some detail on the uh, on the actual experiments that were done and the different types of experiments that suggest or suggest evolve. There being I'd say that kind of sort of thing. They have to really read the book because it's laid out step by yeah. step well, okay. by just, step. I was just wondering for some juicy details. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to well, give you one juicy detail. Okay, I knew there was juicy details. Yeah, there was, there's a juicy detail, but it's not about that. It's about oh. the fall of Rome, okay? Oh. If anybody has their book already, turn to page 250. If you don't already have the book, mark it down, page 250, and get the book so you can look at page 250. And what you're going to see there are two archaeological graphs. And these books, uh, these graphs come from a, from an archaeological historian or historical archaeologist or whatever, but anyhow, the one on the left shows all of the settlements north of the city of Rome at about around 100 A.D. That's 100 years uh, after the uh, alleged birth of Christ, okay? so But it's really 200 years after the birth of Julius Caesar, which is far more important. But in any event, you see this huge clustering of spots and dots, and there's a little legend that tells you that these are towns, these are fortified uh, uh, farms, these are villas, these are, you know, whatever they are. And it's just a bunch of them. And that's dated to 100 AD. Okay, then you look to the graph or the depiction on the right, the graphic image, which shows 300 years of archaeology in that same area, same exact area. And you can tell the area by the location of Rome and by the position of the roads and everything. 300 years it covers. And there's like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 settlements over 300 years in that same region that was covered by hundreds and hundreds of settlements on the left. Now, that's what happened when Rome collapsed, yeah, the and population disappeared. And uh, basically, the civilization was sent back to a Stone Age. It took roughly one, um, yes, one thousand years to go back to the level of civilization that was the one at the end of the Roman Empire. So the Renaissance, basically. It took all this time to reach the level of house building, architecture, metal industry, pottery, it's listed in the book, eh? uh, buildings, churches, farming, warfare techniques, and uh, written documents. Yeah, between 1, the... 1,000 years. Yeah, between the earth changes that were going on at the time that were vividly chronicled by several chroniclers who... Historians nowadays say, oh, they were just talking hyperbolically or that was, uh, they were just uh, 
they were getting religious about it, but they were describing what freaking was happening. And there was probably, based on what you can figure out from the statistics you get, I'm looking at these maps, something like ultimately a 90% mortality rate. In Europe and uh, Mediterranean Basin. And uh, the proof that those chroniclers were not fantasizing or exaggerating that in some cases you have several chroniclers in different locations who independently made similar reports of the same cosmic events. It showed that they made very accurate and uh, objective reports in general. And now to, uh, to answer Joe's question about uh, some more juicy, juicy things or some more data about the human cosmic connection, a, a question that could raise is how things will work if you have a majority of the population that has those beliefs we, dec- uh, we described, that believe those lies that are spread by the media and the PTVs, and on the other side you have a small group of individuals that uh, are trying to be truth resonant. Can there be a splitting of the universe? A splitting of reality? Today, obviously that's not the case. Today you have people who believe lies, you have people who reason more with truth. Nonetheless, although their interpretation is different, they live on the same planet and uh, uh, with the same events, interpreted differently only. However, you have uh, <clears throat> some theoricians amongst whom uh, Rupert Everett, who coined the, the theory of a multiverse. Now, that's why it becomes interesting about this uh, splitting of realities. Hugh Everett. Hmm? Hugh Everett. Hugh Everett. Uh, yes, Hugh Everett. Uh, Everett. And uh, according to this uh, multiverse theory, at every, every time you make a decision in your life, for example, I marry, I don't marry, the two realities coexist in two separate worlds. And those decisions you make are based on the information you hold. If you believe this uh, lady is great and uh, should be your wife, you marry her. If the information you hold or you believe about this lady are too negative, you won't marry. Okay? But according to Everett, the married solution and the non-married solution will coexist. And that's how maybe there is a connection between the information you hold truth versus lies, and the reality in which you live, and the possible branching out universe, because in this sense, the decision, the information-based decision made by people who resonate with lies, would be totally, drastically different from the decision made by people who resonate or try to resonate with truth. Taking that a little further, if there were a sufficient number of people who resonated together, truth, making decisions for truth, even if they're not all exactly in the same place, even though it's much easier to resonate when you are local to one another. But if they were scattered around the entire planet and they were devoted to gaining and gathering the truth and making decisions in their lives based on truth, Step by step, one decision today, another decision tomorrow, little by little, they would strengthen their truth, frequency, resonance, vibration. And then, at a certain point in time, they might achieve some sort of critical mass 
where they would actually take a step or make a decision that splits their reality completely from the planetary reality, and they would end up on a different Earth with a different future. And here, actually, we're not talking only about the splitting reality, two different realities, but we're talking about the possibility of access to a higher reality, which is described, for example, in the parable of the blind man and the elephant. <clears throat> Basically, you have individuals, you probably know this, this parable, you have individuals who are blindfolded and who touch an elephant, but nobody knows it's an elephant. They only have a, one touch the trunk, the trunk, and the other one touch the leg. So the information they hold on the individual level are low-level information. A leg, a, a tooth, or whatever, an eye, whatever. But when they network and share in an objective way the objective information they hold individually, they can give birth to a reality of high level, a 3D elephant. Um, so they you have, have the knowledge. possibility knowledge and access to a concept of a higher reality. Not parts, but the whole thing that transcends the parts. And that's uh, why there is this possibility of branching out universe that coexists with access to a higher reality. Or, yeah. And in such a situation, the destruction that's brought on by a human cosmic connection that's attracted negatively isn't necessarily going to be on this other planet. Yeah, that, that, it, or those, that, that, it might that, mitigate. It might uh, mitigate, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I don't think I'd focus on that too much. We've done some videos on this where we talk about how it might manifest. But, um, you know, the important thing is, I think, that, you know, going back to the elephant and the blind man, even if these blind men are able to share their knowledge with one another and come to a full concept of what an elephant is, it's not going to change them being blind at the moment. There would have to be some kind of other input that might act on them uh, genetically, perhaps, that would open up their ability to see. Um, or, at the very least, they would be able to understand what this elephant is, and they'd say, okay, let's all join hands and... Uh, Let's find our way out of here before this elephant stomps on us or we get stepped on, you know, because, you know, it could be fairly damaging. So there's two or three ways to look at the um, analogy. But for us, the most interesting is, is that when the electrical activity on this planet changes, it very well may change many things within people who are prepared to run, say, for example, a higher current in their bodies. And uh, people have all kinds of uh, DNA going on in their bodies that they don't know what it, what it is, what it's there for. And, you know, it's been proven that uh, uh, different diets can change your DNA. or It doesn't actually change your DNA. What it does is it upregulates or downregulates. That is, it either turns it on or turns it off. So we don't know what can or can't happen, cosmically speaking, that can turn DNA on or off. But there is, once again, there are historical records that demonstrate that some of these things can happen. And there is even a more recent uh, bit of evidence uh, that comes from the Tunguska meteor 
explosion, right. that it actively caused DNA uh, changes or upregulation you know, up or downregulation in not just plants and so and animals, you know, flora and fauna in the region, but also in human beings. So um, there's just so many possibilities, you know, and, and really, I don't think that it's proper to look at such times as this as, uh, you know, horrible and depressing and, you know, uh, you have to keep yourself looking forward into the future uh, to see that there are some interesting times ahead of us and, you know, keep trying to, you know, inform as many people around you as possible, uh, even if, you know, we sometimes get depressed because we get people, you know, they, they just they can't let go, their brain hurts, you know, it's just too painful and so on and so forth. But if they could only understand, it really is liberating and it really is an interesting time to be alive. I mean, it's like Charles Dickens said, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Yes, it's you know? both. And that's kind of what we're in right now, the best of times in many respects, and also the worst of times in many respects. And I guess it depends on, you know, what's deep inside you, how you see it ultimately, and whether or not that seeing and that belief inside you contributes to a positive outcome or a negative outcome. If you just believe that you're a failure, that nothing you want or or think should happen is ever going to happen, you know, then obviously it's going to make your brain hurt to think about it because, you know, that's just the way it is. But if, if deep inside you have this self-esteem and even if your life has been brutal to you since you were born, you still keep getting back up and keep getting back up and keep getting back up. You know, people like that who keep, you know, getting back up and recreating themselves, no matter what the world does to them, they have some kind of self-esteem. Those are the people of the future. And um, <clears throat> actually, we scratch our head quite a lot to try to find a, an example in nature of the threshold that was mentioned previously, this kind of phase transition accessing a higher level of reality, a different level of reality. And the best analogy we found is uh, superconductors. So we go back to electrons and uh, to particle level. And um, let me describe it quickly. It's rather simple. Electrons, normally at ambient temperature, are very chaotic. They lose a lot of energy. They bump into each other. It's, there's no order, no coordination. That's electrons, normal state. When you reduce the temperature enough, and here you have to keep in mind that reducing temperature is the same as adding information, and the, the whys are described in the, in the book we're talking about. So when you reduce temperature, i.e. when you increase the level of information, true information, a threshold is reached and all of a sudden, the electrons behave totally differently. They start to work in pairs, they start to move in a homogeneous, fluid, harmonious way. There's no more shock. There's no more loss of energy. It's perpetual motion. They start to defy the most fundamental laws of physics. It's perpetual motion. And today, in labs, you have magnets or loops, electric currents, in superconductive state that goes on and on and on infinitely. There's no more battery necessary. And uh, it's some kind of uh, almost uh, human magic. Beings. This can happen to human beings if they work, <clears throat> work for us, they work together, if they network together, if they share 
if they work on overcoming the pain in the brain at facing truth and reality, you know, collecting truth, you know, really dealing with what is, uh, being rational, being objective, uh, at what point will the one additional person who is able to do that added to the system increase the level of knowledge contained by the entire system, not any one individual, but by the entire system, and turn the turn this group of people into basically kind of a super super conducting element around the planet. We have a a question here uh, from a listener. I'd like to ask if Laura and crew are aware of any signs or feelings that indicate an individual frequency vibration is rising. Depends on what you mean by frequency vibration is rising. Uh, if you do, if you mean that people are getting better and smarter and whatever, uh, globally speaking, I would have to say no. But if if you're referring specifically to the group of people we work with, uh, the the network that we uh, are connected to, uh, I would say yeah, it's definitely changing. I mean, we've got we've got people all over the planet in our network. We've got researchers. We've got members. We've got uh, people who discuss on our forum and they are they are definitely showing signs of some significant changes and activation of of things that have been latent for a long time so in this small group yes but globally no okay i think we'll leave it there for this week folks um we hope you enjoyed the show the book we've been talking about is the book uh, by Pierre and Laura Earth Changes and the Human Cosmic Connection you can get it on all Amazon uh, websites if you want a signed copy you have to go to Pilule Rouge which is P-I-L-U-L-E-R-O-U-G-E dot com and uh, pay with PayPal and you can get a signed copy by letting us know what you want a signed copy uh, otherwise it's uh, available on Amazon or on the Rabbit Hole USA just look up rabbitholeusa.com or whatever so Thanks to Pierre and Laura for Thank being on guys. the show and for enlightening all of our listeners and raising their vibrations. <laughs> I wish. Uh, we will be back next week with another fascinating, scintillating show. Uh, it'll be announced in the usual places. Until then, thanks for callers, thanks for chatters, and thanks to everybody. Bye-bye. See Have a nice one. Good night.